Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And uh, we don't have a guest this week, so we'll get straight into our scene. Um, The timestamp is 1 hour 35 minutes and 30 seconds through 1 hour 36 minutes and 23 seconds. So just shy of... uh, a minute i almost said an hour which would defeat the whole purpose of the podcast um what is that 47 seconds 50 yeah 47 seconds right uh 53 seconds 53 seconds i can it's written down it's on the show (laughs) it is oh it sure is is. (laughs) 62 episodes first time i've noticed that i've literally every time been doing the math Cool. Way to pay attention, MJ. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is... I can't believe I haven't noticed that. We've been doing this over a year. In 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 your defense, I've only had it on there probably for the <clears throat> last maybe 10 or so episodes. But even so... That's still a double-digit amount of episodes for me to have noticed that. I was trying to make things easy, you know, trying to help. Sure. It does, if I'm not a moron who doesn't notice. Wow. Cool. Cool start to the podcast, MJ. Uh... So in this scene, which I did pay attention to significantly more than our Google Doc, um, <clears throat> everyone outside is is the name of the game here. So um, Hooper and Quint, they, they head out onto the deck and uh, Hooper starts frantically taking pot shots at the shark uh, to the point where Brody or Hooper starts to question what quint is doing like he's he's really kind of concerned about about what's happening and uh at the meantime brody is coming around the left side of the the boat to the to the front um and he nearly falls off the boat and hangs on with just one hand and then pulls himself to the front of the boat and grabs his gun out of his bag and loads it. And he is terrified. He is so scared. Um, and then we also get the the signature uh, Spielberg shooting star uh, right between the, the heads of Hooper and, and, and Brody. Um, and Hooper asks him if he's okay. And then we cut to a very wide angle shot of the, the boat on the ocean and Quint singing um as we transition into morning and that's the end of the scene so 
Um, not a lot, but also kind of a lot happens in this scene. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Sarah, what did what did you notice? Yeah, I I think first of all this interaction, even though it is a bit one sided, this interaction between Quint and Hooper is really interesting. And it's a very different tone from Hooper than what we've seen before. He kind of sounds exasperated at this point. Um, And there's been other times, I I just was looking back in the script actually, when he sort of says to to Quint, you know, you're wasting your time. Um, And I think it's when, or he says like, let it go as well, doesn't he? When they are um, sort of, even before you're going to need a bigger boat, I think it's before that um when the uh brody spots that the wire is showing and quint is getting him to to unbuckle him and hooper is sort of you know are you wasting your time this isn't a shark it's a a tuna or a swordfish or something like that um and hooper's tone then is very very different to how it is now um and i think that that's because that the the scene earlier on is is pre-Indianapolis and this is post-Indianapolis so Hooper has softened a little bit towards Quint and is definitely exasperated but he's not the sort of snarky sarcastic Hooper that he was earlier with with Quint telling him that he was wasting his time so he's really sort of just trying to get Quint to to stop whatever the hell it is he's doing because Quint is also acting in a way that is quite uncharacteristically sloppy um we know that he has had a drink so it's you know perhaps to be expected but a real difference between how laser focused Quint is when he is strapping himself into his chair and getting ready to to get the shark then and how he is now where he has just got a a a gun and is basically just shooting at the water or anything that is vaguely near the barrel to to no success really but yeah a very different uh quint and a very different hooper that we're seeing in this scene from what we saw earlier and that's showing what has changed in their relationship really that hooper is I guess, just a little bit more understanding, or shall we say tolerant, <laughs> of Quint now that, that he has learned a bit more about him. Yeah, so there's he's he's way more concerned than he is angry with Quint. And, like, I think he recognizes, even though at this time we didn't really have the language around PTSD that we do now, um, I think he can see that he has been triggered into this sort of PTSD event. Um, I think, is it still called shell shock at this point? Um, yeah. 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 So, so around this era, we were calling PTSD shell shock, right? Which was just, (laughs) is PTSD. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think following Vietnam is when we really started to call it PTSD. And, and that's when you have like, um at least increased accounts of soldiers having uh flashbacks where they they literally can't control their actions really um and that's exactly what's happening here and i think uh this is also i mean it's the beginning of the end for for quint but it's also the beginning of i would say like an extended kind of war flashback and we'll we'll get into that especially as daylight breaks and and uh Quint starts to act really more um, irrationally than usual, right? Like he 
he's been pretty calculated. That's kind of his whole thing is he's been he's been cool under pressure. He's been calm. Um, but the 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 you know, we, I think we talked about on the episode with Blake about him being re-traumatized by the the sound of the shark hitting the mm-hmm. side of the boat. And that just triggers this, you know, PTSD style event where he's, you know, partially in the present with the shark, but also definitely back on the Indianapolis and enacting the revenge he couldn't take. So he doesn't care. This is not about the shark to him right now. This is not about this shark to him in this moment. It's it's about the Indianapolis to him. And I think it remains that way for him for the rest of the film. Yeah, there's a very real difference in Quint's character pre and post Indianapolis that I think I've not really picked up on before, at least not in this level of detail anyway, in in exactly how his character changes. And and what you said is right, you know, he is sort of re-traumatized both by what happens with the the shark sort of slamming into the side of the boat. And we, we talked about what he says i think right at the beginning of the indianapolis speech about the the you know torpedoes being slammed into the the side so it is almost like he is being taken back to that point and i i do think that is deliberate we are meant to sort of get this sense of quint being back in that place of being sort of re-traumatized and also it's this isn't always the case but when you tell someone about something traumatic that has happened to you if it's not then dealt with properly, uh, as in, you know, through through therapy, which takes a long time, <laughs> um, it's, it's quite easy for you to mentally be back in that headspace. And I think yeah. that's exactly where we find Quint right now, because even, you know, and this isn't of any fault of the other two, but that conversation of of Quint telling them what happened didn't then go to them sort of offering any help or advice or trying to sort of get Quint back into into the present moment. You know, they had that great moment of of camaraderie where they were sort of singing together, but it wasn't really addressing the trauma in, in any real way because, you know what can they do in that situation and what do you say in that situation as well i think that that is the sort of thing that really only a a professional can deal with so yeah quint is very much back in in that headspace and reliving what happened both in in now what is happening with this shark sort of coming back to to attack again and again i think that was something quint says about in in the indianapolis about how that sometimes the the shark would go away and sometimes it wouldn't go away and so you know now the shark is is back and sort of like physically attacking the side of the boat so it's this sense of of quint sort of like jumping into action and and is the shark is this going to be it or is the shark going to go away so he is um pretty sloppy in in his approach and in 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 what he is doing and that's just because he is in that panic mode almost it's like there's my gun (laughs) let me shoot at this thing but he's he's not seeing straight uh for many reasons alcohol and also just not really in the right headspace to be doing what he is doing but yeah it's there's some it reminded me a little bit of of how 
this is going way back into the film now, but the approach that that Charlie and Den Herder took when when they were trying to get the shark, and obviously that was played a lot more for comedy than than this moment is, um, even though it was very tense and scary as well. But they sort of you know not really approaching the shark with the right tools or you know what they had sort of wasn't really what was going to be needed to to do the job and and that's how we're seeing quint now is you know the the gun that he has is not really the sort of appropriate weapon that he's that he's going to need or tool that he's going to need to get the to get the shark um especially as he's not you know seeing clearly enough to actually make a decent shot at it i'm pretty sure you could shoot a shark if you were very focused and it was right there and you got it in the head or something i mean we see that is how the shark is is taken down eventually obviously with the help of the the oxygen tank but yeah yeah i mean yeah i feel like if i were sober and i've handled a gun on one entire day of my life um (laughs) i'm pretty sure i could hit a 25 foot shark maybe i couldn't kill it but i'm pretty sure i could hit it like quint is not he's Mm. not (laughs) that's a big shark you know that's 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 there's a lot of surface area i'm not saying Mm. like i said not saying i could kill it but yeah this is not the the mission quint is on he is he is exacting his revenge for the indianapolis here and taking out all his anger and frustration especially like to um you know if, if you're someone who has been through therapy i'm sure you'll know this the worst mood i'm ever in throughout a week if i'm in therapy is the immediately the day after the, like the next 24 hours after therapy um yeah. it sucks it's awful <laughs> um you know we've talked about on, on this episode uh particularly some of my traumas and like grief grief trauma is, is 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 a lot of what i've gone through and when i was going through my grief counseling oh man as the worst uh is 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 not a pleasant experience for me to be me or for you to be around me around that time <laughs> um and it was it literally monday tuesday fine wednesday day of my grief counseling just the worst thursday friday fine you know the rest of the week fine it's literally like when you get that trauma out in the open and it's the thing that clears you and, and heals your wounds and stuff but it is the hardest work and it is the most vulnerable you could ever possibly be and it sucks it's not like there's nothing there's nothing fun about doing it but um it it does help in the long run and like for quint this is him at literally the beginning of this journey and i think at the very least in my experience with this the beginning is not only not the it, it's not only the hardest part to just say it out loud for the first time to someone, but it also is, it just, there's no, there's nothing immediate you can do about it. And so like, there's a little bit of a, a hopelessness that you can, you can gather from the character from this point forward. Like he just is, accepts that this is kind of the fate that he's chosen for himself. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, also the beginnings of this here but robert shaw is incredible at handling that switch in the character too mm-hmm. um just the 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 anger on his face when he is confronting the shark with the uh you know the the gun is so different than how we've seen the character 
the entire rest of the movie. Like he's been hiding behind this facade of like salty sea captain. And now we see this kind of like underlying anger and trauma that has been drudged up from this situation. Mm. Yeah. I think something interesting about what you were saying and something I can and definitely relate to is that the, that person that you are after you've had to sort of like relive something traumatic, whether that is, you know, just telling one of your friends or, uh, or in therapy or, or something like that, then you, you're, you're not the best person to, to be around, I think, or you just need to take a bit of time to sort of work through what it is you've, you've spoken about, whether that's, you know, by yourself or, or with sort of someone, someone that you trust but what is interesting in this scene i sort of skipped um skipped a little bit ahead in the scene is even though at the beginning hooper is sort of not right next to but is there with quint because i think he just thinks that perhaps he is a danger to himself <laughs> the kind no. of mood that that he is he is in at that moment in time and and how irrational he is acting and the way he is just sort of firing this this gun the water really is not even close to to the shark but by the end or sort of towards the end of this bit that we're talking about the three could not be further apart from each other so if we mm. go just a little bit ahead to after Brody has has grabbed his gun and we'll we'll come back to that um there's this shot sort of before it uh night turns into day where Quint I believe is at the back of the boat um, Hooper is at the top of the boat driving and Brody is at the front of the boat. Mm. Um, it's like a perfect triangle. <laughs> These three could not be further apart from, from each other if they tried. So getting that sense, I think even just from, from that shot, the Quint right now in this in this headspace that he is in is not a very pleasant person to, to be around. And we see in next week's scene... Uh, a really great moment where it is like uh, Quint and Hooper are sort of below the deck and they're sort of passing tools to each other and working in almost like mm. perfect synchronization, which is a, a, a great example of the group dynamics thing that we've been talking about. But this, the sort of, you know, before the night turns into, <laughs> into day, these three are all a bit kind of like uneasy around each other. And I think particularly uneasy being around Quint with how he is how he is acting at this at this moment and Brody obviously feeling a sense of of unease personally as well because you know he goes to get his his weapon as well and there's very interesting things I think to to talk about that but yeah this idea of the even on this sort of small boat and considering you know a few moments ago these three have been sat shoulder to shoulder having a good old sing song together mm. and now they are at like as far away from each other as they can be on this boat i mean maybe this says something very interesting about like <laughs> how guys or how some guys react when someone sort of shares something that is is quite traumatic <laughs> they're just like i'm gonna go put myself right at the other end of this boat <laughs> rather than try and deal with this thing <laughs> well i think it also is I mean, you know, uh, 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 it's emblematic of of Quint, right? Like, um, oh gosh, uh, sorry, I have to look something up in the script. 
I mean, I think that this is why Quint doesn't take anyone with him, right? I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it has less to do. I mean, he says, like, there's too many captains on this island or whatever, but I think it's clear that he he knows that he's the best one. Like, he's, he, he doesn't want that. And he's forced into this, right? And uh, he, I, I think it's it has less to do with the fact that, you know, he thinks there's too many cooks in the kitchen, if you will, or too many captains on the, the, the boat that is Amity Island and more to do with the fact that it's a defense mechanism because every time he goes out and gets one of these sharks, I mean, we've talked about it, right? Mm. He's got an awful lot of shark bones for an area <laughs> that clearly does not deal with sharks very often. Um based on how the island reacts to this. So he's going out hunting them. Um, And I think every time he does that, it brings up that trauma for him again and again. And he's just re, you know, obviously it seems like the movie wants us to think that this is the, um, maybe the most intense version of that, that he's had to deal with. But it's, I mean, it's a revenge mission. Like we've talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought about something and I hope this makes sense, but it was just something I thought about when you said that quote about, I don't want no volunteers, I don't want no mates. Something that I have never really thought about in that line before is that I've always read it as Quint being like, you know, I don't need anyone, I can do this by myself. But Mm. when you put it in the context of the Indianapolis, he was with people Mm -hmm. then and he had to watch a lot of them die. Yeah. So when you like look at that line again, sort of in the context of of the Indianapolis and what he went through, I don't know. It just it just just added kind of another little extra layer onto that. Like, yes, he is wanting to work alone because then he is, you know, responsible for himself and himself only, and perhaps with other people. You know, if he doesn't have other people there, there isn't the chance that he is going to have to tell them this thing about himself but also not putting other people um in in danger because he has experienced too much of that in in the past in you know in in war and in the indianapolis as well and sort of seeing the people that he's with die you know in a in a really traumatic way so he doesn't want to risk that i guess and 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 that could be a you know, I think there's, you can see it in the both ways. I think it is that, you know, I'm the best and I don't need anyone else, but also this, I don't want to have to go through that trauma of like losing someone else again, like particularly in the, you know, the mouth of a shark. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we, we've talked about the many genres of, of film that, that this, uh, this movie encompasses and like, for Quint, it's a revenge movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a, mm-hmm. you you know, uh, <laughs> the modern ones, I call them Liam Neeson quit taking my stuff movies. Um, <laughs> but it's it's that kind of movie, uh, <laughs> but with Quint and, and his crewmates on the Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also, right, this, and the, the, the 70s is like prime time revenge movie right you got death wish you've got i would say french connection to a certain degree um mm-hmm. 
you know, all the black exploitation stuff like Coffee and, and Foxy Brown and stuff, which is just Coffee's just a remake of or one of those is a remake of the other one. Uh <laughs> Dolomite, like all the even the comedies, they were all revenge mm. movies and they all have to deal with these like uh you know gritty east coast uh for the most part cities where crime is running rampant and people are taking justice into their own hands and i think one of the reasons for that and i'm gonna camp out on this the next few weeks i've been hinting at it is and i i I brought it up before but it's really i'm getting really in depth with it over the next few (laughs) weeks it's vietnam it's all vietnam and the reason for that is because it seemed like there was no justice in vietnam like that was a war that like it was a pointless war that like People really, especially for as long as it drug on, people really didn't understand. And uh, the the previous war that, that America had fought in was, you know, well, it was Korea. And so the one-two punch of Korea and Vietnam. But this is also the, you know, generation who went into World War II as young people, right? Like, they, they came out of World War II, which was, you know, maybe at the end with the the bomb and stuff that was that's hard to justify but the actual involvement in the conflict it's the last time that there was a clear-cut enemy right like there were mm. there was evil shit happening during that war and i don't think anyone would argue with that but that generation goes to the war they administer this justice that you know i think most people even today would argue maybe the 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 uh magnitude of the reaction um is maybe out of proportion but something had to be done i think most people think that something had to be done about what was happening in the world at that point so these guys go off fight in this war come back start making movies again right they grow up in these war zones dealing out this justice that's really pushing the boundaries of the law i would say um whether or not it was justified or not and then they all make these revenge movies also they all or they all have really bad ptsd and they end up on the streets and doing crime which is how new york gets the way it is right with Mm. mental illness um so i think you see but it's way more hard-edged right like the heroes die a lot in those movies or they make really really gross moral uh compromises right like popeye and and the french connection um Mm. or you know here quint dies it's a revenge movie he dies but if you look at the modern revenge movie the you know the liam neeson quit taking my stuff movies or (laughs) or the john wicks it's these people who have a pretty normal life who just want to get back to that right and there there there's more optimism in the revenge movie nowadays than there was at one point um and i think that's a maybe an interesting point to consider given like and i think as stuff has gotten a lot more tumultuous over the last five years or so uh we're maybe seeing a harder turn into cynicism in our movies and it's interesting to think about that ebb and flow of like I don't think Jaws is necessarily a cynical movie, but I think there is some cynicism within the arc of Quint because he stands in for the Vietnam War and everyone was cynical about the Vietnam War. And now when we have these heroes, yeah, there's like, you know, the war on terror that's been going on for 
too long as well. But we see, for the most part, it's because these people aren't drafted into the war anymore. It's people whose normal lives get destabilized and they just want to restore that balance rather than people forced into these situations they didn't really ask to be a part of. Mm, that is very interesting. I'm not sure I've got anything else <laughs> intelligent to add on it, but I think that there's something to be said about viewing Jaws in the in the context of a revenge film. And I think I need to do this sometime when I when I watch the film in full is sort of like watch it with that in mind because it's something that I found really fascinating to to think about and and talk about as we've spoken about this a lot in in the last few weeks with this you know perhaps idea that Quint is trying to kill as many sharks as were killed on mm-hmm. on the as many people as were killed on the um the Indianapolis and and you know he's not going to stop until he he gets to that number because it seems like he is relentless in his pursuit of sharks and and it's a very good point you said as well about you know I think actually we mentioned this or I guess mentioned it a couple of weeks ago like that's a that's a lot of shark jaws to be hanging up uh in in his cabin like where is he going to find all of these sharks you know presumably he is going out to find them they're not just all around amity because these people seem like they have never seen a shark before or they've at least never dealt with with one sort of being a menace this close to to shore before so um but yeah the, like looking at it looking at the film in the context of, of vietnam as well i think is is really interesting and it does change it does change things i mean i think a lot of these films like you were saying that that were made at this time there's so many of them that even if they're not explicitly about that they are about that if that makes sense <laughs> yeah um I mean, even even stuff as recent as the um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast or not. But the recent this is a completely different genre of movie. <laughs> uh, the the Scorsese Bob Dylan documentary, The Rolling Thunder Review. Oh yeah, that's a film that I think is explicitly about Vietnam. Movie came out two years ago. Like mm-hmm. we're still processing that war. Um, uh, it's. It's a hard recommend that one, but uh, it, it, it definitely like it's a movie that I had to see twice to really understand. I hated it when I first saw it. And then yeah. the second time I saw it, I had to watch it for class. And I was like, oh, I understand what's going on here. Um, and it's it's a movie that's about like people processing the. And we talk we talk about this a lot too. COVID, right? There's there's a lot of like mm. trauma around this like we have all had a rough couple years uh (laughs) and i've you know been very very fortunate to not really know anyone personally who has been taken from the disease but it's still been hard Mm -hmm. um you know just all of it you know it's it's there's not a there's not a single easy aspect of the entire situation and uh, you know even though i've been fortunate enough to to not have to go through that there's still some stuff that has it's permanently altered a lot of us, all of us, forever. Mm-hmm. That's what permanently means. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think it's something we're going to be processing for the next few decades. And, like, I don't know if I want my movies to explicitly 
tackle that subject. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a, there's absolutely a place for films that will explicitly tackle this subject, but I think it's easier to digest and honestly better filmmaking if it's hidden in allegory, right? Like none yeah. of this movie's about Vietnam. Vietnam doesn't get mentioned <laughs> at all in mm-hmm. this movie, but it's very obviously about Vietnam if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, and I, I, you know, we're we're going to be getting our first taste of the, the the COVID version of that very soon, um, and I just don't think Adam McKay is the man to do to guide us <laughs> through that. Um, I'll put that out there right now. Yeah, I'm. I personally am not ready for all the films about this thing, like particularly if they are explicitly about about it and are not sort of mm. hidden in allegory like you said but what's so interesting about jaws and why it is uh one perfect and two timeless <laughs> is that you can view it in so many different ways like we spoke about it all the time like how you can view the pretty much the whole first half of the film with the context of of the pandemic and see the film completely differently and see the right. handling of, of what Larry was doing in a completely different way because we've gone through something very, very similar. And then you can also view the film in, you know, the context of it being at least a, an allegory about, about Vietnam or it being mm-hmm. a film that is about male trauma and how they deal with that. And mm-hmm. this is why Jaws is not just a shark film. It is... <laughs> It is so many things like, yes, it is about a shark. The shark is a very important part of it. But you can look at it under all these different lenses. And I think, because I've had a lot of people being like, has doing this podcast made you like resent the film or made you not want to talk about the film? And I'm like, oh my gosh, the exact opposite. (laughs) If anything, it makes me want to watch this film every single day (laughs) and try and like but look at it in a different way and obviously you know we we watch the scene that we're talking about each week and I usually watch it several times and occasionally I spill over or watch a bit before because I'm very obsessed with this film don't know if that was obvious I just really like watching Jaws um but the times that I have watched it all the way through and I think in the process of doing this podcast I've maybe seen it all the way through six or seven times which is more than oh, i wow. anticipated wow um, i'm at like two or three yeah i it's martin's fault because he keeps when he sort of like is catching up on episodes he then just gets yeah. in the mood to watch the film and he wants to watch the whole thing and i'm like yeah. well i'm not gonna stop you so <laughs> I, it's uh it's, it's my husband's fault not mine um yeah. but yeah i i I, oh, I look at it in a different i look at it in a different way every single time and in a different context and you know we mentioned a, a couple just now but they couldn't be more different you know a, a global pandemic and a, a war they are very different things mm-hmm. like yes sure some crossover in 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 some aspects but also incredibly incredibly different and i'm sure there will be other things that that happen and, and other ways of, of viewing this film that will just add something else to it and like I'm sure if you're going through another film in the in this same level of detail that we are that you can probably pick up on some of these things as well but I just don't know 
a film that does it as well as Jaws does it. <laughs> yeah, and I've gotten on the soapbox before, but like it's because we've just murdered subtext. There's just no <laughs> subtext in anything anymore. Yeah. They just there just isn't. And mm-hmm. it's it's very annoying. And I think that's why, you know, if you look at my second favorite film ever, uh it's it's pretty recent. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it is a film that I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. It's yeah. <laughs> movie came out in 2015. It's my second favorite film ever. And, and honestly, I, I think there is not an audience for this, but if I ever did another minute by minute, it would maybe be about this film. It's a, uh, it's Creed, the, the fucking Rocky movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I like Rocky one a lot i think it's a great movie it's not in my top 100 movies of all time um but creed is a movie that it is so there's so much subtext in that movie and it was so refreshing even in 2015 <laughs> to see a movie that like i could participate in and like dig around in and like you know unearth all these little gems of of, of subtext i love doing that the only movie that i can think of that i've seen this year that i've been able to do that with is pig oh what a film (laughs) and what a film and it's my favorite movie i've seen since creed Mm. that's something in this (laughs) yeah yeah i you know i i love a movie that is brimming with subtext and like that can be you know poked and prodded at from all these angles and this is why i say like you know, uh, obviously a very, 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 very different film. But so many of these things that want to be social commentary, they do it just for the moment they're in. And mm. that's all. And it's so myopic and it, it hurts stuff, right? Like, once again, could not be more different than Jaws. But if you look at the two Borat movies, and I know we've talked about this at least off mic sarah because mm-hmm. i watched mm-hmm. the first one with Kristen before the second one came out the first one is just about racism in america which is always a problem the Stop second it. one <laughs> the second one was dated as soon as it came out because yeah. it's just about the 2020 election and a little bit about covid uh it just that's over now <laughs> now right mm-hmm. like there's no there's no lasting cultural artifact that that is anymore like i would say maybe if it was about the 2016 election it would be a different story because i think that has like some implications that we're going to be running through for some for a while but uh, 2020 kind of came and went like it was just like there's a lot of problems happening right now and i don't know if borat's the one who can solve them <laughs> you know <laughs> uh and and it but it, it's a wildly different movie it's so of the moment that it was made in whereas you know the first one is definitely not and i think that's a film you could watch and the first one is a film you can watch and still see the themes it's on it's 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 pawing at uh as clearly today as you could ever in the post 9-11 world because oh that's the thing borat's about 9-11 right it's about it's about 9-11 the second one is not and like yeah a lot of shit's happened in the last five years but like it is not the same magnitude of 9-11 mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. COVID is. COVID is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, the election stuff. Because the movie's way more about the election than COVID. Yeah. Um, so it, it just, like, I don't know. It, that, that was a film that as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is outdated. Like, not, none of this is, is relevant anymore, mm-hmm. almost. And the first one is one I watched two weeks before the second one came out. And I was like, I see this now. Like, I see, I see everything in this film. I see it now. Mm-hmm. And there's there's more staying power in that than just this you know and once again back to the adam mckay movie like it's so obvious what that movie's about and like there's just no there's no way to like get in uh, into a movie like that and dig around and like be an active participant in your watching experience and it's so frustrating Mm. And a film can lock into like one specific event or a particular time and can yes. do it very, very well. But it in in order for it to have something that lasts beyond beyond that moment, it needs to be saying something else. And that's where we get these these great films, obviously, you know, like Jaws, like the other ones you've mentioned, like so many others as well, is that they they are saying so much more than the thing they are about mm-hmm. if that makes sense <laughs> yeah i but, mean i think yeah oh go ahead no 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 go uh i you know not a movie but you can watch it on disney plus i think hamilton you know that's mm-hmm. like yeah it's about the birth of america or whatever but that's just what it's like small letters about like that's a, it's a movie about building yeah. a legacy <laughs> and you know how people are going to view you particularly when you're a historical figure you know or someone who who does something big enough to alter history and and like what time will do to that uh i like legacy and idea and i think you know what i think the the proof is in the pudding there one and how much it caught on with the culture and two uh i know a lot of british people who freaking love hamilton and you know you you guys aren't the good guys in hamilton <laughs> Look, I felt very bad when I when I went to see it, <laughs> but I still love it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? It has a permanent place in London right now, or at least semi-permanent, right? Yeah. Like, this is once again not the good guys, <laughs> but that's also not what the show is about at all, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I'll I'll say it again a little loud for the people in the back. Like Jaws is not about a shark. It's about so much. Yeah. It's about so much more than that. If that was all that it was about, we would not be talking about it in the way that that we are talking about this film now. Yeah, maybe. this isn't yeah. you know. Let's deep blue sea for a minute. <laughs> Yet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm not even sure where to <laughs> how to like neatly get this this back to the back to the scene because I think that yeah it got a little meta sorry yeah it re- it really did but it's it's all I mean it's still all related <laughs> it's still related to yeah. this scene I mean we're talking about you know the the way that Quint is reacting and how he could be reacting in that way and this isn't just us reading too much into it but at the same time if you just if you just watch jaws and have a great time and enjoy this you know thrilling scary fun film then that's also absolutely fine but i think yeah. if if you only think jaws is about a shark you are watching jaws wrong and i think we've said that before 
um, and are in agreement on that. And I hope that doesn't <laughs> I don't want to sound harsh or like put people off at all. But I think that if that is your only reading of Jaws, that's that's not it. Uh, there's yeah. there's there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. As, I, as I hope we've proved. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wildly entertaining film that will give you something to think about after the credits have rolled, and it's not just shark big. Um, yeah. <laughs> though that is part of it. The shark is big, uh, <laughs> and um, I want to talk about. I think we'll get on to talking about the the shooting stars because there's a whole thing yeah. around that. Um, so I as I'm assuming you have, <laughs> saw uh, the 95, I believe, documentary about the making of Jaws. I think it's on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, they say about the shooting stars and they say that they are real. Um, mm-hmm. However, <laughs> much debate about this has ensued over the years and that has basically been debunked now. And I can be on board with that. I think it's nice to believe that this magical wonderful moment happened where you know they they would they just happened to be shooting and a, and a shooting star was was in the background and that was what they caught on film but i i think particularly when you consider obviously this this scene is being shot day for night so it is it is during the day that they are filming it they've just made it look like it is night um that that isn't a real <laughs> shooting star but it's a good effect so i'm not mad at it um and it did then sort of become this token thing for for spielberg he has a fascination with with stars with space and and with that sort of thing and it captures this this sense of wonder or just this you know you have to be in that moment at exactly the right time to to catch this thing and i think that that is something that spielberg tries to to capture in his films mm-hmm. is that is that idea so I'm fine with it being an effect that was added on it not being this like lovely, you know, moment of happenstance that <laughs> caught on camera. But yeah, I don't know what you well, uh, you thought about that bit. So I've always heard that one of them is real and one of them is fake. I think both were debunked because I, I, oh, okay. I was doing a lot of research about it. Um, I mean, un- unless you were actually there, I don't think that you would get get the answer but i mean yeah they right. they weren't filming it at night and i think some sciencey kind of person was like mm. you would not be able to see it like that during the day so even if it Got was it. even if it was there and did happen they would have enhanced it some way to make it visible on the camera you wouldn't have been able to see it um if it had just been caught like that but yeah i i Got don't it personally doesn't bother me either way yeah it it doesn't bother me either way and like it's i like a i like a filmmaker who has a staple like that you know yeah um and uh you know i like every this is gonna be real dumb but every time there's like a like a looking up at the protagonist shot in a quentin tarantino movie it makes me happy like i like i like (laughs) stuff like that you know i I like I, i like a director who has a strong style that doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily well i'm not gonna say it doesn't necessarily get in the way because quentin tarantino is the most stylish director ever and it's super in your face but (laughs) i think it also serves the stories he's telling too very well Mm -hmm. um and i think spielberg does the same thing like you know um and this is my big frustration with recent era spielberg i'm just making everything meta today but uh i like a lot of those movies but 
I don't like the visual sensibility he's adopted in his later career. And it looks like West Side Story might be changing that, but like, I think since Crystal Skull, I feel like his movies have looked like crap. And there, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the camera work because I think even Crystal Skull has like some really, really good camera work in it, particularly in the first half, uh, particularly in the motorcycle chase sequence, which is actually pretty good. And that's mm-hmm. the only positive thing I can say about that film. <laughs> um, but it's lit for shit. It's it's so washed out looking. And he's adopted this like 1950s style of lighting that i think really makes his movies look very bad mm-hmm. um and it sucks because if you pay attention to the camera work in it i mean it's just as good as it's ever been um but it it, it just gets lost in this washed out look that his films have and but that's been his signature style since you know and he's he's gone through several versions of this like the, you know this is kind of a for as great as the movie looks, it's kind of rough. Not, It doesn't look bad, but it's a little, you know, unpolished. And then in the 90s, like, those are the pinnacle of, like, a polished-looking studio film. Like, those movies look amazing. Um, and I really like that he's adopted these visual styles over the years, but I really don't like the new one. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> You know, I like the idea of the Spielberg trademark and I like the, the and I told this story on the podcast about the, the Cape Fear shooting star being mm-hmm. the nod to Spielberg because it was his idea to have Max kill the uh, uh, the housekeeper and put on brown face in her outfit. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that's super messed up. And also because he was originally attached to direct it, like it was this, you know, knob that Scorsese put into the into the film uh to the guy who kind of gave him the job basically and uh i like that you can do that with him you know you can you can take an element from his filmmaking and apply it to your own and it just looks neat because that shot in cape fear looks really cool but if you're someone who knows the you know shooting stars are something that spielberg always uses right Mm mm-hmm you can look at it and be like, oh, was that a Spielberg reference? And then you can look it up, particularly in the age of the internet, and find out that Spielberg was going to direct the film and that it was his idea to have Max do that action, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a signature stamp and it's subtle. It's not in your face. It's not, you know, something that you're going to take you out of the movie if it shows up, if one, someone else tries to do it, or two, uh, if it's in another one of your films right like mm-hmm. sometimes if if you and that's why I, I like the quentin tarantino shot because it's a very specific shot and it's very stylish but at no point has he ever used it in my opinion and it's been out of place in one of his films you know it's mm-hmm. always made sense to be looking up at the characters from that point of view whenever he, he's used it because um, it's usually like from the point of view of a character who's laying on the ground or the trunk of a car or yeah you know something they're opening like yeah, just what you know, it's it's essentially a reaction shot, but it's not a lot of people use it. So it doesn't get in the way. It's not, you know, it's not this huge, huge deal. And like Spielberg's such a subtle filmmaker sometimes with his, you know, particularly with his one takes that that's another stamp of his that never gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's I, I like it when a director does have something that is their that is their sort of signature, but like when 
it isn't something that gets in the way and i think that maybe a an overused example of this is um jj abrams with his lens flare <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because i when when you when you become aware that that is like a trait you know that that's his trademark and he's gonna do it in every film like he puts it in a film where like it wouldn't be there or shouldn't be there and it's like he's done it just to tick the little jj abrams box and i'm kind of like all right <laughs> yeah. i don't want to come i don't want to come for him again on a podcast but i I don't even think it's in every Spielberg film. I was looking this up. Um, it's in a fair few of them. Yeah, it's um, in a lot of them. But I, yeah, I, I think that having that little, that little sort of trademark, particularly it being something, something quite subtle, and it's never in a place where there shouldn't or wouldn't be a shooting star. I mean, even in this scene in Jaws, it is supposed to be nighttime regardless of when they filmed it and what effect they did to make it look like it was nighttime the scene the context of the scene is at nighttime it's not completely beyond the realm of possibility that you would see a shooting star at night it's you know it's not super common but it's also not so rare that it's weird that it's that it's in the film um and as far as i can i think of all the sort of other uses of it as well it's not it's not like in the middle of the day with just something coming like flashing across the screen because that's what Spielberg always does like it's at a point in the film where you're either gonna spot it or you're not and that's fine it's something that's a nice little stamp of of the director but it's not it's not a like a box ticking type of thing like I think it can be um for for some directors perhaps but I I particularly like that um the Cape Fear example as well, because it's, it's a really fun thing to impress people with as yeah. well. When you're yeah. watching it, you can be like, oh, hey, I don't know if you notice that. I mean, obviously pause it. Like, don't be that jerk who just like talks over the film. Be like, did you just see the, the shooting star there? And then you can just yeah. tell them the, the cool story behind it. And I like I like that connection. I mean, this is part of the reason why I love Disney films so much, because those films are constantly like referencing each other and, mm. and putting little Easter eggs in them and... and you know references to their other films like you know past and present and it's a fun thing for people to to try and pick out but this i don't know this doesn't feel like a sort of an an easter egg type of thing in in the same way that those are this is just that sort of little trademark of of the director like he's put his signature on it but it's it's inserted in such a way that doesn't sort of feel intrusive yeah i also do you do you remember the first time you noticed the shooting star? Was it the first time you saw it? I think so, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I think um, I think it was for me. Well, I don't think it was the first time I saw it because I'd seen it when I was a kid. But it was the first time I had seen it on the Blu-ray. Mm. And that's when I was like, oh, what was that? You know, like <laughs> <Yeah>. it's because <laughs> you... I've never noticed a shooting star in a movie before because I'm sure they're really hard to capture. Mm-hmm. And I was, I remember looking it up after that point and finding out that it was kind of a Spielberg trademark. And really like, even then, you know, that was kind of the infancy of my Spielberg fanboyism. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking that was just a really neat touch to have as like a filmmaker because it's, it's distinct, but it's subtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also kind of, in a weird way, if when you sort of first see it, you it kind of looks like it could be a flare as well, mm. Um, mm-hmm. 
which fits in with the with the context of the scene again i mean i think you can in the second instance you can see that it's not but in the first instance where you're sort of like looking up at brody and you sort of see it overhead it's not completely impossible that you know one of them may have sent up a flare or another boat sent up a flare or something like that anyway um so it does sort of make you go oh what's that and then when it sort of comes in again i think i see it or noticed it the the second time that it appears because to see one once is like rare to see it (laughs) see one twice is you know very rare so it sort of grabs your grabs your attention a bit more but it is that sort of like and where it comes in as well is you know we're like oh what's that because we are you know the score has come in and and the the shark is there but is is you know retreating and you're you're sort of on a, a heightened state anyway so just seeing something unusual in the background actually i think assists the scene or helps the scene in in this case because you're looking somewhere else that isn't the (laughs) that isn't the sea uh which is where our attention was was directed before and just sort of being like what's happening you know what's what's happening what's going (laughs) what's going on even though nothing really comes of this scene in terms of of getting the shark or anything it's it's just something that that draws the eye but in a good way not sort of sticking out like a sore thumb or anything yeah i definitely agree and also i want to talk about brody in this scene um because he doesn't do a lot but he does a lot with a little um so he goes to he he goes to uh uh, uh brody get your gun and um he he goes back into the cabin and comes out along the i said the left side earlier it's just shot mirrored so it's along the right side of the boat actually mm. um and then comes back out onto the front and grabs his gun, but he almost falls into the, into the water. (laughs) And we've talked about this before, but it's been a while that we've talked about this. He's kind of a clumsy guy. (laughs) Um, So there's the part where he like knocks over the painting supplies in the, in the store at the beginning. And then when he bangs his head on the, uh, on the sign that's hanging down during the town meeting. And then also we, we do almost see him fall earlier in the film uh when they're climbing across the side but do you do you think that was real or do you think it was uh intentional choice by schrider to to fall almost fall off the side of the boat like that i because the the knocking the paintbrushes over his reaction to his to it is so good that i really want to believe that he didn't mean to do that but it just happened Um, but I, I like that it is an element of, of Brody's personality. I don't know if it is, you know, deliberate choices or whatever that, that Scheider was making to sort of inform the character or, you know, but I, I like the, I like Brody being this sort of clumsy, slightly clumsy guy. I mean, he's still very very capable and clearly a very good cop but i just think it makes him seem so much more human (laughs) and so much more likable because i'm a very clumsy person so maybe i just really relate to this (laughs) i'm like i absolutely would slip off the side of that boat and probably not be able to hang on so (laughs) yeah i i can't tell because it cuts it cuts to him right as he's falling so it kind of makes me think that this one was intentional 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think him banging his head maybe isn't. And uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say I know it isn't. There's no way he would just make that choice in the moment. Like that's yeah, that's like galaxy brain acting at that point. I feel like. <laughs> um, and then knocking over the paintbrushes, I also think just kind of happened because like yeah. paintbrushes are a weird shape, so they're going to hold their weight weird. So when he messes up that balance, it just kind of knocks over. <laughs> um, but this, I I think is intentional although i don't know if the 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 shoes earlier in the film were maybe they were um and maybe that was because spielberg was setting him up to be a little clumsy Mm. um but either way brody is terrified he's so (laughs) scared um Mm. And he, like, gets his revolver, and he... I think he looks the most scared he's looked all movie. I mean, he looks like a child, almost. Mm -hmm. The way he's looking (laughs) out at the water. And, you know, Hooper asks him, like, Hey, hey man, are are you okay? (laughs) Um, And I really, really like that, you know, we've seen Brody evolve over the the course of the orca sequence to become more confident. Like he gets the knot or whatever. And and that's definitely tied to, excuse me, him getting his sea legs under him. But here when he's faced with like the real threat of like the shark is attacking now for basically no reason. Like it's it's intentional on the shark's part, which, you know, Mm -hmm. makes him more, more, slasher than than actual animal but uh it you know so the the shark is now targeting them because even before when he does the you're gonna need a bigger boat he's chumming the water he's looking for the shark he's he's scared because it's startling but he's in control of that moment he knows that you know cause and effect of Mm. hey uh if i chum a shark might show up right like you have that in the back of your head right Mm -hmm. the the point of doing this is for the shark to show up so while it is startling it is not and should not be surprising (laughs) um (laughs) but here it is completely out of the blue basically um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and really scary also he has just touched water uh for the first time in the Mm -hmm. film Mm -hmm. and that's still got to be weighing on him so uh yeah i i really like this little moment of brody just being scared out of his gourd to (laughs) to be dealing with this now like he's he's like i can handle you know chumming i got my life vest on i got my zinc oxide on my nose scary yes surprising no and then Mm. this happens and he's like hey i did not sign up to be in a fucking war zone (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah, it's like two minutes ago I was having a nice dinner and a little sing-along, and now this is happening. Yeah, well, I don't know if the dinner was all that nice, but he no, was he having dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the brown slop was was not particularly uh, appetizing, or at least it didn't look that way to us. But yeah. something interesting, actually, um, we spoke a lot <laughs> about the the shark sort of slamming into the side of the boat and how that is potentially sort of re-traumatizing Quint coupled with the fact that he has just told uh, Hooper and and Brody about what happened to him so he's sort of reliving it in in that way as well Um, and it's 
obviously not in the same quite in the same way but Brody you just mentioned he sort of falls back into the water and has quite a reaction to that so he has almost been <laughs> been re-traumatized as well and I was trying to find this link earlier but I just I just couldn't get it until you were sort of talking then and then it came to me but the if there was any significance in Brody and Quint sort of both like reaching reaching for a gun and I think obviously you know Brody is is what he knows he is a cop that is the weapon that he he has bought when there is trouble he would you know make sure that that he is armed that he is sort of prepared to to deal with it but looking at it in this way as well of like Brody by falling back in into the water has potentially that has sort of brought back some of the the trauma of whatever happened to to him when he was younger so he is like I'm feeling some type of way and I need to get my gun. <laughs> and yeah. that's basically what basically what Quint does as well. And that's a that's a really interesting link actually that I had not thought about until right now. <laughs> yeah, he um he it, it, I mean it, it's almost his safety blanket sort of like it's 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 something that ties him back to land. Like I right. I guarantee you he knows somewhere in his brain this revolver is not going to do anything against this shark, but it's it's the the process that he knows to go through as a police mm-hmm. officer. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it shows that Brody is a good cop because this is his last resort um, mm-hmm. to grab his firearm. And I know, obviously, like, that's something we're maybe thinking about a lot more in 2021. Um, but it does show that like, you know, his, he has a specific order of operations and the last ditch effort is the gun. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, even then it's just, you know, especially against the shark, it's just, it's, 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 it's more of a, he's, he's more Linus than the chief of police in this, uh, situation. Mm. Isn't. So I don't know if I need to skip ahead to the film or if you can just remember, but the gun that Brody has in this scene, that's not the gun that he has at the end, is it? No, he, he has, I think it's Quint's gun at the end. Yeah, that's that was just what I was about to mention as well, that, I don't know, maybe we'll get to that. Maybe over time we will find something interesting and, and significant about that. I mean, kind of, it's, it's yeah. I guess, Quint's... Quint's weapon that kills the shark after all yeah. even if it's not Quint Quint that pulls the trigger so that's interesting I don't, don't know what happens yeah. to this gun that that Brody has probably floats away when the yeah I don't <laughs> I don't know if it, it yeah I don't think we find out really I mean he's not like you know he's not going full John Wayne on this freaking shark like yeah he does use it though doesn't he like um does he yeah, it's in a car. I'm sure he does. I don't know if I'm imagining it. I'm quickly trying to scroll through the film now. Um, but I think he gets some... Brody, with that gun that he's got, he gets some shots on it. I'm sure there's a bit of Brody firing that gun. And I don't know if I've imagined it now. Anyway, we'll find out. Well, oh, no, he does. He does. I just got to it. Oh. <laughs> um, it's around 1 hour 40-ish. Okay. Um, I can't see the timestamp exactly on my Netflix, but that gun that Brody has, um, it's when Quint is at the front of the boat 
with his gun trying to shoot at the shark. Hooper is at the top driving and Brody is at the back and Brody has his little police gun. He sort of leans over the side of the boat and he takes some shots at the Oh, okay. At the shark. So he does go full John Wayne on this thing. <laughs> cool. He does. I'm looking forward to getting to that bit now. And he actually he lands some shots as well. Well done, Brody. Oh, good for him. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves now, but uh, I needed yeah. to I needed to find that out. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> I like that there are, there are, uh, oh, well, I need to stop scrolling through cause I'm getting, I'm getting invested in draws again. <laughs> I was trying to get it's back so to where easy. we were. It is so easy. I, we were talking off mic about the, um, the voir series on Netflix and there's an episode on Jaws and I will spare you my thoughts on the episode itself, but it was funny because I... I will say I was not excited about that episode, despite it being about Jaws, because I am not a fan of the person who was doing that video essay. And so I was like, "Ah, I'm just going to put this on as background noise. And so I put it on and I was kind of scrolling through my phone and then they started showing clips of Jaws and I immediately put my phone down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Will stop in tracks for Jaws. <laughs> yeah, it, it legit it was such an automatic process until it wasn't that I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I was like, what? Did you really just turn your phone screen off and set it down to watch a couple seconds of Jaws? Mm. And my brain said, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I I did and I'm going to keep doing this. It's funny like when on if you're watching stuff on Netflix and it starts like auto-playing stuff, um, mm-hmm. So when I'm like scrolling through, and if I happen to go past Jaws, it starts. I think it plays. It's a scene with Larry, and without fail, I watch it every single time. <laughs> every single time <laughs> I, I scroll through, because I'm just like, it's Jaws. I'm not gonna. I don't care if it's like a small scene of it. That's what. Well, that's what our whole podcast is about. I will watch this minute of Jaws, and no one yeah. can stop me. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's almost my preferred method of viewing Jaws right now. <laughs> Yeah, when you, when you watch the whole film, you're like, this is at least uh, 123, too, 20, 123 minutes too many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kid. All of Jaws is great, and I love watching it. <laughs> um, I Anyway, all, I this is not going to be a better comment, but... Um, Harley, I know you're still working on, on Eat Somebody, but... Hooper Take the Wheel is right there for you now, too. <laughs> He's going to hate us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that line, is that there's there's definitely a Carrie Underwood parody in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if Harley does want to make an entire album of Jaws parody songs, I would support him in that endeavor. <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would back that on Kickstarter or GoFundMe. Uh, well, you got Hooper take the wheel, and you got Brody get your gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this scene, so there's two, there's two already. I'm sure we had another one as well, but look, we'll, uh, we'll Brody hit his head to Benny and the Jets. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the one I was thinking. Of. <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> yep. So dumb. <laughs> It's about such a specific moment as well. <laughs> uh, Sarah, that's our whole brand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forget that sometimes. 
Do you have anything else? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just in my head now thinking of all of the various uh, Jaws parody songs that we could come up with. So I'm very distracted. Um, Yep. No, I think that was, I think that was everything. I had one note about how Hooper's lines are definitely uh, not recorded. Oh man. (laughs) They're (laughs) so ADR. His mouth is not moving. (laughs) You know what? So is, uh, so is he ate the light. Um, Mm. Every everything he does, he ate the light and excuse me. And in, inside the boat are also heavily ADR'd. Yeah, I I really really noticed it this week, and I was like, yeah, MJ will be proud of me for noticing. Yeah, how it's super it obvious. <laughs> yeah, I can't unhear it now. I feel like this is your influence uh, in watching this film. Yeah, I, pro- it probably is. I I pick it all out now. I'm like, well, that was not recorded uh, there, or probably even in the same week <laughs> or city yeah <laughs> country uh <laughs> yeah it's probably recorded in la it's probably yeah, in the yeah. same country but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah speaking of uh harley working on a jaws parody song he is in fact working on a jaws parody song although i think he would be at our throats if uh there were a jaws parody album on the way from him um <laughs> If we successfully got that to happen, it would be like, and then no one heard from Sarah and MJ again. (laughs) Yep. And there would be an episode of Dateline about Harley Mumford. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, that's hilarious because Harley's like the nicest guy on the universe. Uh, (laughs) So he uh, he is working on a parody of the kings of leon song use somebody um and i will go back i have the raw audio of this uh but he needs yums this is our call to yums and it's in episode 51 but i will i will go back and pull the audio of exactly what what he wants the yums to sound like so uh future mj insert audio here basically i want to get as many people as possible to send me audio recordings of them singing yum 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 if if you can do that it doesn't matter what your range is if you're higher if you're lower than that if whatever whatever's comfortable for you please 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 do it uh you can email me it's fundamentalspod uh, at yahoo.com make sure i've got that right or you can message me on social media it doesn't matter how you record it. If you've got professional setup, you want to send me a WAV file. It's brilliant. If you just record it on your phone and want to send it to me as an MP3 recording, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I would love to have it. I would love for you to send it to me because what I would love to do is get as many recordings as possible of that, layer it up, and then make this as epic and as stupid as it deserves <laughs> to be. So <laughs> I can only do it with your help. Record yourself doing that. And send that clip to fandamentalspod at yahoo.com. It's F-A-N-D-O-M-E-N-T-A-L-S pod at yahoo.com. Shout out to Cameron and his daughter 
for uh, doing that. Um, they got theirs in before I've gotten mine in. <laughs> um, Showing us up. <laughs> yeah, I every every week I'm like, oh, I need to get this a Harley, and then I don't do it because I'm a bad person. But. Um, <laughs> Yes, so do that because I think he's waiting on those to finish finish the song. So, um, yeah, a call to yums. But uh, Sarah, do you have anything to to plug? Um, I don't think it's out yet, but um, the the Christmas episode that we did for movie Robcast, if it is out mm-hmm. by the time this episode comes out, then uh, you can listen to both of us on that episode, which was a lot of fun um i this may have changed by the time this uh this episode comes out but uh have probably written some stuff in the last uh week or so um on looper in fact i know that i've written something about the best family movies of 2021 uh which is up so if you go to looper.com forward slash author forward slash sarah buddery or just go to the link that's in my twitter bio then you can find all the things that i have uh that i have written um would recommend checking out the one I wrote about Pinocchio because, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I love Disney. I love weird things about Disney. So I had a lot of fun researching that one and going very, very in-depth on one of the best uh, and darkest and weirdest Disney films. Um, mm. So definitely go and check that out. But yeah, that's that's all from me, I think. Um, I don't know when these will be out, um, uh, but you can find me just to popping in to the entire robcast universe uh <laughs> presumably this month sometime so there's there's the aforementioned christmas episode but i'm also on their other show another time mcleod which is a minute by minute highlander podcast um <laughs> and i am on two episodes of that as they have their guests on for two episodes and i am talking about uh, uh two scenes with the wonderful and inimitable Clancy Brown, who is... So I had never seen Highlander until (laughs) I watched it because they asked me to be on the podcast. And I will always say yes to being on a podcast. And I watched it and I wasn't super into it. And then the villain showed up. And he (laughs) is the best. Um... So I told them I want any scene with Clancy Brown in it. So uh, he, I'm doing two scenes. It's around the 30 minute mark of the film. Um, he's so he's so good in that movie, you guys. He's so, he's so, it is a truly unhinged performance. I mean, this side of a Mad Max villain. Um, <laughs> it is. It's so good. He's so good in that movie. And it's it's just it's so funny. Um I don't know if I'll be find a place to say this on the podcast but Kristen walked in while I was watching it and he he goes through a journey as far as the way the character looks over the course of the film. <laughs> and Kristen walked in when he looks his craziest. <laughs> She had not seen any of the film at that point. She was at school all day. She walked in and saw that. And it's it's essentially him in a church uh, being very verbally abusive to the staff, um, particularly the nuns, just being very crass about it. And she was like, what in the hell are you watching? <laughs> and I paused it and got to inform her that that man 
doing the obscene gestures with his face at these nuns uh, is the voice of Mr. Krabs on Spongebob. And that's my favorite thing. (laughs) I've never seen the film, and honestly, you're convincing me. (laughs) It... The back half is better than the first half, I think, because Clancy Brown goes full insane. Like... Big fan of that. (laughs) Oh, he's so so good in the movie, Sarah. He's so good in it. (laughs) It is no joke, like, a top 10, maybe top 5 villain performance for me. (laughs) He's so so good in it. Uh, So you can also find me on my other podcast, Real Perspective. I think there's going to be... Well, Tick, Tick, Boom is out now. But uh, I think we're doing an episode on West Side Story. I know we're doing an episode on West Side Story. I just don't know when it'll be out. Um, so it, it'll be out before the end of the year, though. So, yeah, uh, of course, I'm going to talk about a Spielberg film. Why would I not? Uh, even though <laughs> there's maybe some unsavory parts <laughs> to get through with that uh, or unsavory casting decisions to get through with that. But uh, from what I hear, he's very bad in it, which means we won't have to talk about him very much. Uh, so that's good. Um, yeah. So that's real perspective, R E E L perspective. You can find that on all the podcasts and then, yeah, the movie Robcast and another time McLeod, which is, uh, spelled M A C L E O D. Um, so if you're looking for it there, check it out. The Robs are, the Robs are good people. So go, go support them and what they do. Uh, if you wanted to contact us on social media, you can find the show at Jaws for a Minute um, on Twitter. You can find Sarah at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. And you can find me at MJSmith891. Um, if you're not on social media or you have, you know, stuff you want to get to, contact us through email. Um, Jaws for a Minute at gmail.com is the place to find us. Uh, you can also find us on Finstagram at Jaws for a minute there. We upload clips of the show and like neat Jaws stuff, <laughs> I think is the, the <laughs> easiest way to describe our, our brand there. Um, yeah, those are, those are the sh- social media avenues you can find us on. If you want to support the show, you can buy merch. Um, if you're asking for it for Christmas or getting it for someone for Christmas, uh, get your orders in ASAP. Supply chain's weird right now. I don't know how that's affecting the shipping from TeePublic and Redbubble, if it is at all. Um, but also just get those in ASAP because shipping's always wild around this time, and I guarantee it will be wilder now. Uh, so you can find that in our link tree on our bio on Twitter. Um is it an inst- on Instagram too? Is our link yeah. tree on our Instagram bio? Okay. Yeah, it is. So yeah. Yep, both our bios have uh, our link tree, and you can get either T Public merch or Redbubble merch. And they're always running sales around this time, so just check on the websites to see which one has the better sale and buy it that way. Um, if you want to just sh- support, show your support for the show financially, um, you can donate us, donate to us via our copy page, and uh, it's a three dollar minimum donation. And if you do that, if you're a first time donator, you will be entered into a drawing to win a piece of LJ fam merch and uh yeah um you'll also get a shout out on the show if you do that we had a couple last week so um if you like our theme song which you should because it slaps you can uh buy it at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram she has a link in her bio 
to purchase it on her Bandcamp page. We also have that link in our link tree. Um, and speaking of people who support the show um, with their talent, Alex, our graphic designer who designed both the um, Let's Jaws for a Minute and It's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere logos, which is still <laughs> one of the funniest things. It makes me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> um, you can find him at HexGhosts on Twitter. Um, and then lastly, rate, review, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your podcatcher of choice. Um, we got our Spotify wraps mm-hmm. this year and we were the number one podcast that 32 of you listened to this year on Spotify. What? And <laughs> I cried a little. I got very <laughs> emotional about that. Um, thank you so much. Uh, if we made your top five at all, um, if we didn't make your top five at all, if you've listened at all, uh, just thank you. Um, we really appreciate it. But to be the number one for 32 people is insane to me i can't i can't believe that um so thank you guys so much for that support and um yeah we also found out that we have put out a full two days worth of content uh <laughs> in in 2021 actually longer than two days it's like 49 hours or something yeah. and that was before the episodes we have for the rest of the year you're welcome uh- <laughs> yeah no wonder we're number one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, that blows my mind too that we've worked uh, that much this year, particularly mm-hmm. through the sophomore year of our pandemic and uh, through Sarah's wedding, like, <laughs> and yep. through through both of us moving. Um, <laughs> absolutely wild. I, I can't, yeah, I can't wrap my head around some of the stats that uh, that I saw on that Spotify wrap. Also, six of you listened to us on your birthday, so happy belated. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep, uh, those are the ones I remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening, and uh, until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.